Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. Today, we're in conversation with Gail Wetzler. Gail's studies and work history is incredibly extensive, and to even attempt to mention a portion of it would not do her justice. Gail earned her diplomat from the Baral Institute in 2005, her equine diplomat in osteopathy from Vlugen Institute of Equine Osteopathy in 2009, and her doctorate in physical therapy from the Roslyn Franklin University of Chicago in 2013. In our talk, we explore what Baral work is, the history of it, and how Gail got involved, as well as where she's going with it these days. We'll also talk about the upcoming symposium she's put together, new foundations, new partnerships. Heads up, this symposium sounds incredibly rich, full of information and knowledge with some of the top experts in the field. Gail unpacks a lot of great topics in this conversation, and we hope you enjoy. And with that, let's begin the talk. Hi, Gail. Hi, Andrew, right? Yeah, howdy. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Nikki. Hi, Nikki. We nice. did it. Here we we are. did it. Yes, thank nice. you. So nice to talk to you. Thank you. We can talk without masks on right now, so this is refreshing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking time to, to chat with us. I, I would love to hear your, I was reading a little bit of your, your background, and you are definitely well-trained <laughs> and have done a lot with physical therapy as well as with the brawl work and upledger. And I'm just curious to hear more about that. I did uh, a visceral one and two training and it was, that, that was my first exposure to Brawl's work. And I also, sorry, I did do an um, cranial class with Upledger many years ago, but that was a much smaller, smaller class. The virtual classes I went to, you know, there were huge packed rooms and from so many different practices and it was interesting I was meeting a lot of physical therapists and that was my first time to really see how physical therapists were not just doing exercise prescriptions they they were really more involved with the with the body and so I would I just love to hear firsthand your experience and from a teacher's point of view how that's evolved well, for me, it really evolved years ago. As a physical therapist, um, I really was curious at what I was going to do, right, when we we're going to college and et cetera. And I love animals. And I was thinking about veterinary medicine. And to actually put me through college, I became a vet tech. And at the time that I was going through college, it was a lot of surgery and medications. And I knew and felt my gifts were in my hands. 
And I thought, well, I'm not sure if I really want to do veterinary medicine because of, of that component. What can I do with my hands? What can I do with? I was really good in athletics. And um, just so what, what would I fit into because those were my loves and my passion. So I wanted to follow that. And when I was in college, I had a professor who was very profound in guiding us and asked, what is most important to your heart? Um, and I just, I wrote down our health. So when I combined the, the love of uh, movement and athletics and health, uh, so Cus came toward physical therapy. So um, I started physical therapy and I was very interested in much more the, the hands-on part of the work. Um, yes, we learned about massage, we learned about, learned about structure, we learned about posture, we learned about exercise and all the modalities. But my, my draw seemed to be going toward um, what my hands would tell me from the body. So as I grew from that into physical therapy, and I worked at Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach for a number of years, um, I still was guided by the interest that if I was attracted to, if they had a headache, say, I was attracted to what their signs and symptoms were, but I noticed that where my hands were drawn could be a factor that seemed to affect the headache, whether it took it away or whether it aggravated it, it seemed to be, this seemed significant. And then when I was um, still at Hogue Hospital, it was right next to uh, the uh, Long Beach. I went to Long Beach State before I went on to get my doctorate and that was my undergrad. And that's right next to the uh, vet Veterans Hospital there. And that's where Janet Travell, you know, the big Bible of the Trigger Point <laughs> book. So um, uh, that's where she actually did a lot of research. And I was invited in to be a part of that research, you know, just as far as what do we, what do we feel with our hands? What are we seeing with the body structures? And so I was asked to start to become actually an assistant to her in the teaching after we got to know each other a bit. And uh, from there, uh, putting more detail into my hands-on work. And she was great at understanding structure, hemi pelvises and what that meant and what it, the signs and symptoms were. So I learned a great insight, absolutely, from Dr. Janet Travell. Then comes along the fact that I'm the, kind of the director of the Hoke Hospital outpatient department. And there came a request from a doctor up in LA, who was out of White Memorial, and he was interested in head, neck, and facial pain, TMJ disorders. And so I got along with him. He asked me to become a part of some study, and I started to get involved with head, neck, and facial pain in dentistry. As a, as a result of that, I wrote a chapter in his book. And so that led me to the work of other people in the cranial world. And so I was interested in what we did as physical therapists, but what do perhaps some other people, what are they saying about it? So I uh, contacted some DOs in my area and Viola Freiman was a couple hours south, but she was known as pretty much the mother of uh, osteopathy and uh, got to, to meet her. But I worked with the DOs in my particular Newport Beach area and got to know the cranial work and the aspect of the whole philosophy of the physiology of movement and how they look at the whole person. So they didn't just, where we in PT are more muscle skeletal oriented and that's where we did a lot of our education. 
um, where the DO is looking at the cranial sacral system, the visceral system, the internal homeostasis, and also how does that affect the muscle skeletal system. So I started working with him a little bit and sharing patients is what I mean by that. We shared patients back and forth with the DO. And then I hear about Dr. John Uplinger and he was at Michigan State. My dad went to Michigan State. My daughter started to go to Michigan State uh, just to get her, her graduate degree. And so I started going to meet with him and just under, trying to understand what um, his philosophy was because it was different. It was about a system within the cranium as far as CST procedures and the dynamics of that. So again, I was kind of in the cranium and the head, neck, TMJ, and what, is, what does he have to say about it? And then he started his clinic down in Florida. And um, I was invited down to there to do some of some clinical studies and see what they were developing. And from there, it just kind of blossomed. It just, you know, how you might be um, guided on a pathway for that. And so I spent some time there and, um, in regards to having my own clinic still in Newport Beach, by that time I was a private practitioner, I would uh, travel down and learn and learn and learn. You know, the, each each of our life chapters, we have a page and when we turn the page, it's like, what have we learned in that particular chapter? So he actually um, started what's called Beyond the Dura. And about every two to three years, those were major symposiums for the Uplager Institute. And in 1978, 79, we had one that he invited Jean-Pierre Barral over to. And uh, I did not know Jean-Pierre at the time at all. I was presenting uh, at Beyond the Dura on multiple personalities and what I, we could do from a cranial sacral point of view and what changes we were making and seeing. And so I got done with what I was talking about. And then Jean-Pierre came along <laughs> and started talking about how interesting it was about the organs in the body and their ligaments and their suspensions and what they attach to. And could that not also have some effect on, on the structure? So I was teaching at that time uh, at USC School of Dentistry. And I was also teaching for the Institute of Physical Art at that time. And so we were kind of going through the organs to get to the psoas muscle, which you all, all of you guys do too, and how important the psoas muscle was for so many things. And so here comes this doctor from France and says, you know, you're going through quite amount of important stuff when you go through those organs and how they could be related. So it was total curiosity as to, oh my gosh, yeah, he's right. We, what are we going through when we go down to that psoas? So um, poolside after the talk, <laughs> we were poolside and kind of came up to talk about what I was talking about and then we chatted about him. And then um, Dr. Uplager, Dr. John himself asked Jean-Pierre to come over and start teaching some classes in the visceral work. So I was right on board wanting to know, just again, curiosity, what is it that we're touching and how does it relate and what we're, what his teachings are? And so from that point on, it was um, history in the making, I guess. I followed him in many of his courses, uh, 90, 91. In 91, I was in his advanced course and he asked me to become a teacher. 
for him. And so from 91 on, I have been teaching um, his work, trying to relay as best I could his genius uh, behind his hands. As you all have studied the intricacy and the detail that Ida Rolf has put into her work, uh, so has Jean-Pierre put into the detail of the organ and the organ attachments into the body. Gail, could you share, um, how did Brog, Jean-Pierre, what was his journey? Like what, if, could you share a story of like, what happened in his hands that led him to go down this journey? What spoke to him to be, that, to share that tissue has this ability to be mobile and... Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it started at, you know, he was a PT before he mm -hmm. became a DO. And in his journey, he um, studied at, I think for six months at a lung specialized hospital. And so there were times when people would uh, pass, unfortunately, and he was able to also see the autopsies and learn more. But what he recognized in understanding the bodies is what his hands went on in the lung area there was quite a bit of an attraction of something underneath his hands that would be drawing his hands toward, he didn't know exactly at the time, what am I, am I touching the pleura? Am I touching some ligament that's underneath the ribs or intercostals? Um, is there some restriction that's in the lungs itself? So it was this line of tension, we call it, that he was being attracted to. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to poo-poo that, and I just, I really, you know, I have no idea, so I'm not going to pay attention. Uh, Jean-Pierre was a man of great curiosity, and he goes, I'm getting that not only once, but I'm getting it 10 times, and I'm getting it 100 times in different people as to this line of tension that was attracting his hands. So he was starting to listen at that time. Sorry, was it these multiple people, were these all people who had recently passed, so he's... No. Okay, so <laughs> that, that one experience he got drawn into right. and then he started trying that on with other people other people and then in the six months there were people who passed and so he could put some objectivity into what his hands were doing and then he could start to say i'm trusting my hands more because i have the validity behind it and another journey he had as a clinician in Grenoble, France, was that as an osteopath, he was a spinal mechanist for years, taught that in, uh, in the schools for years, and he would have people come in, and then he says, I've done everything I can in this lesion in the spine. And then he says, I don't know if I can do any more for you. So these people would go to uh, their, what they call folk healers at that time in the Alps, and they would come back and see him, and he says, yeah, Doc, come back to see Jean-Pierre, and he say, Doc, my pain is actually gone. And he kind of gave a little proud look, and he goes, and the patient would go, well, actually, it wasn't from what you did. <laughs> it was from, because I, I, in between our visits, I went to go see this person up in the, in the Alps. And he goes, well, what did they do? So Jean-Pierre, in curiosity again, went up there to see what they were doing, and they were working through the abdomen. So what he did now and seeing that and went up again and again, now he started taking that vision, putting it into his hands and then he put fluoroscopy because he taught at the schools, right? He put fluoroscopy, he put ultrasound, he put scans in behind the science of what we can do with our hands. So in the VM1 first text that you read, uh, VM1, 
uh, he has some of the uh, research, a little bit of studies and research that he did in the back appendix of that. And one was on kidneys and kidney position, what that related to with back pain and what positions they were in. So that's actually the, the beginnings of Jean-Pierre. And then he started to move much more into other parts of, of the body and realized people would start coming back. And he said, uh, you know, what did you do last time, Doc? And kind of review in his notes. And he said, well, I'm actually, I no, more, I no longer have constipation. Because what you did is help me physiologically. What did you do, Doc? Well, I kind of was in this area. And, well, I'm pregnant now. And we've been trying for three years. And I don't know that you knew that. But I'm no longer having the stress of being infertile. And so then he noticed mood changes. And in time, over the years, he was starting years ago to see the uh, gut-brain axis come from working the organs in the body and uh, now we know how much that works through the vagal nerve. But at the time, it was like just thinking the axon or the reflexes from the organs affecting the central nervous system and traveling up through the nuclei. But now that is a source. The microbiome is a source. And the vagal nerve is another source of all these different changes that he was seeing, seeing the behavior changes, but not exactly knowing how important these this work is in diving into the body so precisely. Thank you for that back history. That's fascinating. And the power of curiosity. Yeah. Thank goodness he, he held on to that. Yeah. Because, I mean, I have to share that the, the going through that first world class changed the way I access so yeah. as remarkably. Like, it's, it's, it was just such a gift because there is so much that you have to feel through before you're accessing SOAS. And, you know, on a previous podcast, there was someone commenting that um, uh, probably maybe a, a newer role for wasn't accessing the SOAS as, as kindly as they may have should have. And um, so that person had an experience of rolfing being quite brutal <laughs> and, um, so it definitely, having a great understanding of how to manage the viscera to go into deeper layers is paramount. Good. I'm glad you had that um, profound realization too. I did too. I did too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I'm still curious of the, the, what's the attraction. I mean, from a Rolfer's point of view, I, I can see it, but I'm just curious again, with the uh, so many PTs being so interested in this work, because I feel like it's such a difference. And maybe that maybe I don't really know what's actually being taught in PT school. It's, my understanding is quite clinical. I had a, a, a moment thinking that I was going to go into occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I just still find it fascinating and great for their skill set for physical therapists to be interested in more of the subtleties that the um, Brawl and up ledger, up ledgers work can bring into the clinic, and I and I guess is that something that is missing in the traditional PT training? That yes, and the reason is is because uh, we don't have a lot of validation. The research that you know physical therapy schools are under kind of the auspices of the medical school. Um, situation. So the licenses in the beginning of my, particularly my license was I had to be under the 
uh, referral of a doctor. We no longer have to be that. We're, most of us have doctorates now. We no longer have that. But at the time, that's, that's what our education was. So if there wasn't something that was written in the literature, it could be have the evidence base behind it. And that's where the difficulty came in the beginning stages of understanding this work because we didn't and couldn't. We didn't, all of us as private practitioners, we don't have that equipment. And uh, those that worked in the hospital were more rehab-based, neuro-based, um, exercise-based. And so they may have stayed into that side of the physical therapy education. So the challenges were that, how can we see and sense that uh, actual movement of an organ did occur? So it was actually the DOs that did some more. We, when I first began, there were DOs over in England that studied the breath mechanism in the diaphragm, and they did a mechanism of breath, and then they did a stomach or a liver um, motion pattern, like a mobility technique, and then we saw the differences of the breathing pattern. And so we started to see some things that were actually objective. Um, so, I'll, uh, so to bring back also the interest level, I think it's in a PT world, it's individual. And we, it's the results that speak. And it was more people like taking these beginning courses that would go back like you and go to their colleagues in the clinics or in the hospital and say, oh my gosh, I just took this course and you've got to take it or you've got to at least see what we do with it and see the changes. And the changes were coming, not so much that we could visibly see a liver change or a kidney change and that, it was how we related it to shoulder dysfunction, hip dysfunction, neck dysfunction. And the anatomy is our Bible and knowing the anatomy. So the severity of cervical lordosis and how much ever we did in actual mobilization of the facet or the vertebrae or the muscles around it, and they would come back without lordosis. And when you know the mid-cervical fascia and it connects to the pericardium and over the pericardium affects the phrenopericardial ligament into the diaphragm, and we can make the changes into the depth of the thorax, that's what's going to change the dynamics of what may pull a person into a kyphotic thoracic or a um, cervical lordosis. It was amazing. It was amazing. So it was the changes that it, you can't fool our eyes, right? And you can't fool the fact that we did a pretest on a shoulder evaluation or a hip evaluation or a knee, and we would see what the listening, I'm sure we're going to talk about that, what the listening in an area would take us to and find the source, find the root cause from a muscle skeletal point of view, and we wanted to look at the body 3D. And that's what this gave us. Yes, I had a wonderful experience after my delivering my first kid. Um, Natalie, she's a visceral in Boulder. Yep, yep, no so I, yep, sure you do, yeah, she's great. And so um, I had received some prenatal massage from her and just like kind of just checking in and all that. And then after, soon after I delivered, it's just, we, I wanted her to kind of do a little check-in. And then when she showed up, I was like, you know, for some reason, I just want to let you know my throat hurts. I was like, I don't feel sick, but I just want to let you know my throat hurts. And so she does a whole, you know, reading and everything. And she's like, yeah, you have a little snag in your dura. I had an epidural with my first kid. And so 
sure enough, she does her magic along my spine and then my throat felt fine (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) Another similar same thing. I don't know if it's just my thing because I have scoliosis that maybe I get a little bit more wound up in my spine. Another time I had seen her and I was like, I've had a chronic headache for days and I thought maybe I was dehydrated. I was just like, I've been drinking tons of water. I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not a person that's prone to headaches. And she again does her thing and, you know, does the listening and goes to the source. And I had another little hang up going like right into my cranium and yeah. And then walked out of there and I was headache free. It's like, definitely feels like magic, but I know there's a great deal of study and learning in it. But again, it's so the power of the listening and, and letting the body guide you is powerful. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I'd say that that was, it is the heart of our work. You know, and we can see a shoulder on the outside and it has an impingement of some kind and we see where the restrictions are on the outside of our body. And so we can evaluate that and it's very observable. But to see if there's changes that are going on underneath the abdominal wall, cavities that way, it's not so easy. So we want to have some kind of pre and post evaluation as to, I wonder if we are actually making changes when we go in to survey things that are on a 3D. So Jean-Pierre um, has developed a, an evaluation process called listening, and it's general listening when you first learn it and you come into the VM curriculum, and we're listening on the top of the head, and the top of the head, we have to learn how to receive messages from the body. We learn how to, am I going to be feeling a low transfer? Here I'm a PT talking. If I go on the shoulders, if I distribute my hands, is the, is the body underneath it accepting the load? So how is the load distribution? That's one way of looking at I'm engaging into the body. And as you engage into the body and you let go, you're receiving now messages from, oh yeah, I have ability to compress and I have ability to decompress. So the homeostasis of the tissue is within normal limits, but we're learning to feel when it doesn't do that. So there's a line of tension, like I mentioned when we're talking about the lung hospital and what John Pierre felt, there is an attraction that comes in our hands that the tissues are gathered together and they will not, they're not healthy, they don't have the hydration, they don't have the gag responses or the elasticity and the collagen elastin. Something is dysfunctional and it forms a densification. And there is neurological densification, there's the fascia around the vascular that can have that, and certainly the fascial components that we all know around muscle, skeletal system, well that is can be developed around the organs in their structural component as well. So we have learned with our hands what is the potential of something that might attract us. And how he taught us was so interesting in our first courses is that uh, underneath, say, the person's clothing, if there was scar tissue and he opened up our mind to feeling that you can feel just the skin and you can feel the temperature of the skin, But if you realize that there might be a tethering somewhere deeper in, we want you to find that. And this person may have a subscaring. 
underneath. Can you determine with your hands where that scar is? And sure enough, when we opened up our minds to this possibility, then we could feel areas that were, did not seem to be magnetic or drawing us in. And we went to areas that did. And then we could, you know, lift up whatever shirt or that they had, and we can see we were right on or very close to. And that was a training process. And then so training on the body and then training onto the hand. Um, and just, it's very interesting. This is just an aside. It's just interesting um, because we're about to talk about the symposium that we're putting on. And one of the people that I invited um, just to speak of the benefits that he as an acupuncturist has learned from the Baral curriculum. He said, it was so interesting when I went into VM1 because when I put, when anybody puts their hand on their head in this area, it's called, um, it's called a place of meeting of a hundred meridians. They come together. The meeting place of a hundred is what they're technically called. And so there's so many meridians come up to that particular area as well. So they can read the body from an energetic standpoint as they do as acupuncturists. And then we, we're reading the body from a tissular uh, point of view as to what those attractions could be. So I love the paradigms. I love that what Jean-Pierre did on his own and what he found. And here we're seeing in another realm, another discipline that the acupuncture has been doing that for years, years and years as to uh, bringing that paradigm together. So that's, that's the listening perspective. And then, so we have classes in that now that train our hands and the perception of our hands uh, in, in that process. Uh, Gail, I'll just say you were mentioning um, opening up your minds for that, but I would almost say that it's the opposite of opening your mind. It's a way of shutting the mind off and learning how to how to listen, um, so that the mind isn't always yeah, creating yeah. a yeah yeah opening yeah. our minds to the idea because here yeah. we are these. Uh, maybe with uh, as a rolfer, you might have a little bit more open mind coming in from that field, but PTs. You know, we had, if it wasn't black and white, so we had to open the minds to the possibility. Mm. And then we, we just, every, yeah. the sh- chatter has to stop. And now we do the listening with our hand and the focus with our hand and the p- quality of perception with our hand. So yeah. you're right, but we had to start yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I was making more of a play on words a little bit, yeah. but yeah. Well, I would love to talk a little bit more of your symposium that you're launching in the end of the month, I believe. I signed up for it. Okay. And I think it's, um, you know, definitely for our listeners and, well, I think it would be great for, definitely for the SI community because there's so much, I mean, it took a handful of some of the lead teachers to take some of the bra work and now I feel like and you probably can you've probably seen a ton of rolfers coming through the oh, program. <laughs> so it's so complimentary to our work. And like I've already said with, you know, the PT world, it was just fascinating. And even I have a, a, a life also in the physical fitness world. And so, like I said, when I took my first visceral class and being in that huge conference room, I forgot what hotel it was. It was mind-blowing of all the different type of people there to learn this work and how it's so applicable to so many different people in the, in the mind-body world. And so if you could share a little bit more of, I'm kind of curious too, of like 
why spearhead this? Like what, what brought you motivated to, to do it? And then just share for people who might be interested in how they could sign up for it. Yeah, the again, the interest uh, for myself personally, because I asked the Institute, would it be possible if we could do this? It's, it is because I'm a teacher and I go all over the world. And um, the interest level of a psychologist versus a nutritionist uh, and acupuncturist and rolfers and Feldenkrais practitioners and massage therapists, PTs, OT speech, it was a beautiful bringing together of people as to helping somebody. How can we help? I think all of us went into our fields because we wanted to be able to help others. And when we saw, uh, and I'm just so thankful that both Dr. John Uplinger and Jean-Pierre opened up this work, not only to DOs and or PTs or chiropractors, but opened up this work to all of our worlds so we can share with it with a number of people that come into our clinics. And so I was seeing this, I was seeing that uh, if I have, I've, I specialize a little bit in uh, concussions now and worked, I was an athletic uh, trainer <laughs> as well as PT and, and moving on. And so uh, that was a world of mine that I was quite interested in. And so in 2000, 12 and 13, we started to do some studying into the concussions and how we as manual therapists can help make a difference. In that realm and that as well in Newport Beach, I worked pretty much across the street from Dr. Daniel Amen, and he is a developer of the brain spec scan. His sister came in to see me and I made changes. She had a severe car accident and we made changes with the work that we did. He actually called me and said, what are you doing? So he was interested in what we could do with his ADD, ADHD, and some of the kids that he was seeing. So here we were cross-referencing, and we did a research on the effect of visceral manipulation on the brain with him. And then we see Feldenkrais practitioners come in and, and see that the movement that they do, the subtleness of their movement, how it correlated with the subtleness of the movement in the organs. And then we have Pilates people and focusing on if I can feel this restriction and it's not engaging their core, is there something underneath the, the core muscle musculature that is not allowing this to engage? So we were talking with Pilates instructors. We talked with Rolfers. I know John Martin, Jan Sultan, Bruce Schoenfeld. Those are all friends of mine. And to the intricacy of structural integration and how beautifully this relates to starting from the foot, from the ground up, and how you all evaluate the structure in the protocols that you do. So it just became so uh, a conversation that was so important in bringing these disciplines together that that's what I wanted to do. And so the name of the symposium is New Foundations, New Partnerships. And to realize that what you have in your skill might be something a little bit more beneficial for this particular patient I have on the table right now. And so to be able to say, I can take you so far, or let's join together with you, Nikki, as you're working with someone, and then I have the detail perhaps of where that root cause could be, but you're working it through the body with the integration that you're doing. So these new partnerships are 
um, are part of this symposium. And it is my goal to be able to share with others. And the invitation is out to MDs, functional medicine, integrative medicine, acupuncture, Cairo, DOs, PTs, Rolfers, Feldenkrais, all of that is a part of the people who have been invited. So we open the door a little more of sharing that what we can do as manual therapists um, for the MDs. And I have a, I actually have a vision therapist that's going to be talking as an MD and how he changes the lens of uh, the eyes and the, and what it does to the optic nerve to help post-concussion patients plus neurodegenerative changes that are happening in the brain, what he does. So his skill, what does, um, what does vision have to do with it? And the brain function is phenomenal. So um, who is going to be at this symposium? We have Dr. Uh, Len Wisinski, who is actually in our area, Nikki, he, uh, but he is very well known at the University of Colorado. He is at NIH. He has spent 25 years in policies in trying to help complementary medicine be part of who America is. And so he is going to be speaking on his journey and where we are today and what doors are opening for us in different hospitals. And then I have a DO that specializes in regenerative medicine. And she'll speak about regenerative medicine, but also the stem cell and the stem cell research and the biologics of that and how movement is key. And then we are the people that come in and do the movement to help what they are um, evolving if there is a need for prolotherapy, PRP therapy, or stem cell. Then Dr. Pedram Sojai, um, he is world renowned. He's called the Urban Monk. And he is the developer of the Interconnected series that went worldwide. And that was in 2018, beginning of 2019. And he is our um, uh, speaker in regards to what he has learned in going around the world. He is a doctor of oriental medicine and uh, functional medicine, very well known in the functional medicine world. So he's kind of having a global view of what we have learned in the past decade on the human genome and what the DNA and RNA and the microbiome is sharing with us and how that's opening up a whole new understanding of some of the pathologies that we have. Then I have Dr. Ron Mariotti, who is uh, one of our instructors as well. He's going into the detail of the intestinal system, SIBO, neuroplasticity of the gut and the nervous system. So he's again doing more detail of what Dr. Pedram Soja is doing and he's going into more detail. And as a VM instructor, now he's going to express to everybody in the audience the importance of what we do with our hands and the science behind the hands. And then because this, um, this was developed around Jean-Pierre, because Jean-Pierre was the whole symposium was developed around Jean-Pierre because he was supposed to be here right now, July of 2020. And he was going to share with us 20 years of research on the brain. So as we all know, COVID has stopped that. And um, on July 23rd, we were gonna have this big symposium with all these teachers. And we were going to have the focus a little bit more on the brain and our evolution in the work that we do with the brain. So here we are leading up to that. 
and we put it into a virtual program now that you will be taking, I guess, Nikki. So after Ron gets done, the last person on our first day, which is Saturday, July 25th, we will have Tad Wenbeer come on. And he is a, a phenomenal instructor, phenomenal artist. And how he has put together the continuation of Dr. John Uplidger's work in um, regards to the glial cells, the neuron communication, the glymphatics, and what we can do as manual therapists. So his title of his program is called Dynamic Waters. And what we can do with our hands in the cranium and the cranial sacral system and how he has advanced that into the glial cells and the glymphatics. So that will end day one and that is evolving us into the brain. And then on day two, we, I have a neurologist out of UCLA, and she's, her title is Brain Unleashed, and she's going to talk about neurodegenerative changes and what we have done in more understanding like Parkinson's. That's what she really specializes in. And so how finding the research, I don't know how familiar you are with that, the research of the vagal nerve and the different uh, bacteria that went up the vagal nerve. This is now five years ago, the study, how it went up the vagal nerve to cause Parkinson's in the brain. And what she has done as a neurologist and combining her skills as complementary medicine and yoga and movements has what they are doing in her particular practice. And Dr. Charles uh, Shidlovsky is next, and he is the ophthalmologist who uh, has studied concussions. And so he's going to talk about vision, the optic nerve, and what he does and how he works with another manual therapist and all of her. She has a whole concussion program in Dallas, Texas, and she discovered him. He came to her clinic and how they work together. And he loves our work and how he'll express that. After that, I just did the webinar today, you guys. <laughs> so I am presenting research, actual, observable, objective research on how we as manual therapists can work with the brain and see the changes with neurofeedback. So I have Dr. Rachel Ragsdale and myself, and we did eight cases in regards to a pre-neurofeedback or electroencephalography. Uh, uh, so brainwave study before I did my work and then we did an immediate post and you've got to see it. You guys have got to see the changes that have come up and objectable. So we're very excited about what came together this morning and we'll be sharing that on the second day. And then um, the last three speakers are in what's happening in um, the latest research. The last three speakers are all going to be on the vagal nerve. And so I have uh, Greg Johnson, who is the founder of Institute of Physical Art, who I used to teach for. And he's going to talk about the anatomy of the vagal nerve and the mechanistic uh, components of how this happens, how we can get on the vagal nerve and make a change as a manual therapist would do. And then I have to have Dr. Randy Grazzi, and he is a protege of Dr. Stephen Porges. 
Um, we could not, of course, get Stephen Porges and Deb Dana. She's kind of second in line, while Dr. Randy uh, Brazzi is third in line. He is the director of a hospital down in Phoenix, Arizona, that has incorporated the entirety of the polyvagal theory. And so he's going to share with us what he has done with this work in the polyvagal theory and how we uh, combine with him. And the last person is Dr. Laura Gomez, and she is from Spain, who will be talking. Um, um, if you're familiar with Dr. Stephen Porges, you're probably familiar with Peter Levine. And he is the developer of the integration of the sensory system into the words of, world of emotion. So um, as they, Laura is a teacher for uh, Peter Levin and also has studied the polyvagal theory and is a teacher for the visceral curriculum. So she's bringing her experience from this um, working with the sensorium and uh, Peter's work and the polyvagal theory and Stephen Porges's work and the visceral emotional world that we can work with and make a difference. And it's kind of tying everything together. And thus we will end our symposium with that. So I'm excited. I'm excited that you, both of you guys are um, interested in talking and that you actually haven't seen a little bit of this work and how we can all join together uh, to work together, absolutely work together to help someone. Absolutely. I'm so, I, when we were speaking before, I got super excited about it. And then now I'm like extra excited. <laughs> And it, I think the, sorry, say the name, new, new foundations, new partnerships. Uh -huh. Yeah. And it speaks to me um, in a lot of ways, but I, I'm very multi-modality trained and a lot of it is mainly because I feel that there's so many different things that from all these different modalities that really can help bring wholeness to somebody and, and I, I love being multi-modality and t taking from different places and working with different people and kind of removing the idea of, oh, my way is the way because the body's dynamic and it, we, it just, the best serve it is to bring in all these different expertise from all these different right. professionals. Right. And I, I love that you put together amazing super powerful symposium. Thank you. Thank you yeah. very much. You know, this was validated for me in um, some of the podcasts that we have because the last part is, you know, I take you to the brain and then I take you into the trauma and how trauma affects the brain on those last three speakers. Um, uh, in some of the podcasts, they have 40 experts. Some have 20, some have 40. I've seen as much as 90 and you just get little excerpts of it. But the person who's facilitating that, when we talk about trauma, is it physically induced or is it emotionally induced? The brain is going to perceive it and just recognizes trauma. And then the processing occurs from there. There are, are which you'll see in the research that uh, Rachel and I did together. There are some people that if we give them meditation, they are, so their wavelength can work with that. But some can't. If you don't have a theta and delta that can accept a meditative state, they, they go meditate. I tried. I tried. I tried. I can't do that. So there's some that 
if they work themselves into a mindfulness and meditation that that works and for others that don't those that go to emdr and they work with the sensitivity with eye movements and desensitization of a, a traumatic event some of that works and some of it doesn't some work with talk therapy some work with the movement and the movement works out that potential particular uh, emotional release in the soma or the or the body of the body. So we're seeing as we get together and talk that there are these different disciplines that'll be right for someone, just perfectly right, and others that may not work as easily. But there's reasons why. And we're all going to learn from these different disciplines, the potential is to why and how we can help each other out. Pretty awesome stuff. I'm not sure... I if you if it sounds like you you do know but a lot of rolfers have moved very much to to vm and also um is it nm the neuro yeah um, neuro yeah. program absolutely yeah. so i i've been introduced to it a little bit i had planned on last year taking there's a course in hong kong i think i got it canceled a, a year or two ago that i had been hoping to do and i'm i'm after talking to you today i'm even more Okay. I have to take a, to, to, to dive more into the VM work because uh, it's just pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's um, I thank you for bringing that up because it is uh, the beginning stages that Nikki asked me about, you know, what was the history behind everything. And it was the VM curriculum. But as Jean-Pierre went further into the work, what if my listening took me to a nerve? And what is the fascial rings and the components around the fascial system of a nerve system? So that is became one class that is now five classes, <laughs> right? And then so what if the listening takes me to a vascular system? Is it within in the vessel itself or is it the surrounding tissue in, in the vascular system? So each of the curriculum that started with three classes, three classes in the 90s, has now grown into so many of the, the visceral components and the vascular components and the neuromeningeal and what do we do with the nerves that are the intercostals and what do we do with manual articular now? How are emotions um, felt in the joints? So we feel a joint, we can feel the vascular, the lymphatic, the neurological, the soft tissue and the emotions in that joint. So it's a real training of nice. our hands and how much Jean-Pierre and his curiosity has grown into this curriculum. So I invite yeah. you, absolutely, invite those that are listening um, just to take one or two classes and see see what it's like for you. Yeah, I think what's, what's really nice is I had looked before going to Rolfing School of do I want to go to osteopathy school because I was spending a lot of time in Europe. And what I realized was osteopathy is great in Europe, but as soon as you come back to the U.S., you, you can't, can't use it. Uh, well, it's not that you can't use it, but you, there's different sort of regulations. Right. But what's really beautiful is that what, what Doral has done is he's brought that work, but sort of into a different, instead of coming in as an osteopath, you learn VM work. You learn the components of the system, more or less, uh, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I think it's a really wonderful the, the gift he's giving so many people by that. Yeah, great. Gail, I want to be sensitive about your time, but I also would love if you could share a little bit of your work with women's health. Oh, okay. Because I think I, I, I just know sometimes the, the visceral work and with women's health, it kind of can be just kind of not as thoroughly discussed in terms of the women anatomy and it's kind of like here's a 
a protocol plan. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah. Okay. I'll take a, a couple minutes um, to share with you about that. So 1993, I think it was, Jean-Pierre was giving a course over in France. Uh, could not come to the United States to teach this because he had two or three speakers. Uh, one was a midwife and one was an OBGYN and himself. And he had the clients and he was going to be doing internal work, right? So he kept it in France and uh, where the licensures could be okay with the different groups of people that were coming in. And it was mostly uh, doctors, uh, PTs and DOs that took this class. And so I uh, was very curious, was interested. I know him for a few years now, and um, I knew he was may not bring this over to the United States. In the courses that we taught in the curriculum at that stages, 91, 92, and 93, the thorax and the pelvis were taught together. And um, the thorax was given more like three days than the pelvis one day. And so all of the women health physical therapists in the class came up to me and said, oh my gosh, there's so much more and there's so much more to learn. And so I went over to um, France and took this course and translated uh, French to English, had to learn a little bit about that to get around, but it was fun. And um, it was a fantastic course, absolutely fantastic. Much more detail, much more anatomy. Prostate was in there as well. So the men and the women were... Um, we had to do intervaginal work and interruptal work. So we both were on the same plane at that point. And uh, so it started. And so the Women's Health Organization for the APTA understood that I went over to get this new information. So they asked uh, for me to teach the class. And at, honestly, at first, Jean-Pierre said, no, if they want to learn the work, let them come over to France, honestly. And so I brought that information back. And so they were a little like, well, all of us can't go to France. We either can't afford it or, or we're having young kids. That's who we mostly were at that. We're having young kids and how to leave. So I went back personally um, and did some more study with him over there. And I shared with him what the comments were. And he shrugged his shoulders and he kind of went, you know, I've never, ever not allowed knowledge and education to be shared. Of course, bring this information over. So it was a blessing. <laughs> and uh, I think it was in like 1995 or 96, I put the course together and we started uh, teaching the women's health course for the APTA. So now it's become a staple for them. I'm teaching again in August uh, up in Longmont, uh, Nikki, so that I do it at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And uh, it's just helping bridge the gap between the, the pelvis and the pelvic floor therapists who do go in and do intervaginal work to the musculature. You guys will go in and do some work with the musculature on an external means through the obturator and, you know, work with the obturator muscles and just work the dynamics of the hip in relationship to the pelvis. And we go in, if there's something remaining, if there's some root cause after an episiotomy, after a delivery and the uterus is not just exactly in that balanced place. It's stuck into a side bend and a rotation and it hasn't come out of it because of the type of delivery that had, if it's suction or forceps. So we can go in and do bimanual or with the uterus and we're doing intravaginal on the cervix and we're helping beautiful changes that are to the resource of why this 
is now infertile or can't get pregnant again, or just a dysfunction in and of itself. They have menses that are difficult for them or dyspareunia. So we're sharing with them a whole new world of how important the visceral system is and can be to their, the women's that have chronic pain and the dysfunctions that come in. So um, probably I've been doing it ever, um, every year since. There was one challenging year I need to share with you is because this work wasn't evidence-based and we're an APTA medical <laughs> right association. And so they did um, say that we can no longer, there's a big blogs that went on and um, no longer teach that. So I was just uh, amazingly um, disturbed <laughs> by the fact that I couldn't share the work right here. I had this barrier in front of me and I couldn't share the work that was so profound, but um it, it, did, it did one thing for me. It didn't stop me, but what it did for me was provide an opportunity. And this door that closed for me personally and the work, uh, it opened up for me to say, okay, I am going to go back to get my doctorate. And in my doctorate, um, which was at Rosalind Franklin University, I am going to put all the material that is in women's health, this VM3 course, the pelvis course that we have, put it into the women's health course, and I'm going to find the literature, I'm going to do some tests, analysis, and I'm going to put the evidence base in the thesis that I gave to Rosalind Franklin as my final piece of, to graduate. And that was taken back now to the APTA, even the teachers from Rosalind Franklin invited the president of the APTA into what all this information was. And I was invited back to continue the courses, now, which was a step in the, in the great direction. It was a little disturbing for us at first, but it opened up another door and I didn't stop. I just wanted to continue and just went around that. And uh, we've, uh, everyone has benefited since. So I'm very, very pleased that we still teach it. Um, just one more deviate, um, uh, component of that is that I didn't stop with what we were uh, doing there. I now have developed a course in regards to fertility and infertility. And in regards to um, what we can do as manual therapists to get into the organs if there is a dysfunction um, within the tubes, within the ovaries themselves, that is that the main cause and help them through each stage of pregnancy to have the ease into their pregnancy, the changes in the vascular system that may occur, some of the um, distribution of signs and symptoms that may occur. Um, I take them up to the stages of delivery. I'm in a birthing center here in Denver. Uh, what are the post now, postpartum changes? How do we help that ease back into the body so the women a year later may not be coming in with pelvic pain um, that they could be from a distribution of change of the position of the uterus. Um, and so then we're also the wellness of a baby visit from my years in working with John Upliger. So we can have a baby visit or they can go see a, a local DO that will do that as well. But we can recognize some things if we're, we're part of that, that pathway. So creating ease in the pregnancy, creating ease in the delivery, and um, follow-up after that is another class that we're doing. Wow. That door that got shut just blew itself right open <laughs> to a greater world. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Well, again, I want to be mindful of your time and just yeah. wanted to thank you so much for taking this opportunity to, to share with us the great history you provided and this awesome symposium that's coming up soon. And yeah, it's just a, a great pleasure to finally have a good chat with you. Good chat. Yeah. Thank you yeah. both for inviting me um, to be a part of your association. And um, it was a great uh, experience. I like, I really like being a little ad lib because so many of the times I'm studying and doing so much more different, just being ad lib and knowing what life was like. It's just uh, a pure pleasure to share with you. Well, thank, thank you. you so, thank you so much, Gail. I also just want to say you are something awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Gail. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Gail at www.iahp.com slash Wetzler, and find out more information about the symposium in our links. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on Apple Podcasts or other podcast aggregators. And please share with people you feel may be of interest. We do this for all of you out there and hope we're making a difference in your worlds. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at A Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.